Welcome to The Craft. I'm your host, Mae Globus. This podcast is a collection of intimate conversations on artistry, mastery, and life with talented, passionately curious creatives and entrepreneurs. Most are dear friends, some are those I've admired from afar. I hope you enjoy these conversations, this exploration of the humanity that connects all of us as much as I do having them. Thank you for being here and for listening. There's a lot to admire about Paul Grunberg. The longtime restaurateur has been at the helm of some of the city's best award-winning establishments for years, and people return to them over and over again. He began his career as a dishwasher, working his way up from restaurant consultant for Bao Bay, general manager for market at the Shangri-La Hotel, before getting into restaurant ownership with Laboratoire. Today, he runs the much-beloved Savio Volpe, Pepino Spaghetti House, and Café Latana. In this conversation, we talk about his close relationship with his late father, what it was like for him and his industry this last year, the traits he looks for when hiring for his team, the greatest joy his young sons have given him, and more. Please enjoy this intimate conversation with the very gracious, compassionate Paul Grunberg. Paul, welcome to The Craft. Hi, I'm A. Thanks for having me. Yes, I'm very excited for this conversation. I'm excited because we usually see each other at your restaurants mm-hmm. or the occasional run-in on the street, mm-hmm. but I don't think we've ever had a super deep dive, so I'm looking forward to this. No, let's let's dive away. Let's, let's dive it. in head first. Yes. I was trying to think of when we first met, and my recollection was it was years ago when you were still at Laboratoire, mm-hmm. and I think I was sitting up at the bar enjoying a, a cocktail. Uh, I would say, if not before that, mm. uh, definitely laboratoire. And if you were sitting at the bar, I would have definitely taken care of you. You did. And, uh, <laughs> <laughs> I remember. <laughs> um, yeah, that was a that was an amazing, uh, amazing time. Mm-hmm. It was good. Mm-hmm. We'll get into that later. But I wanted to ask what you were like as a kid. We were chatting um, pre pre recording here, and you said your your mom was a social worker. Yeah. And I've met your your sister once before okay. um, back in my writing days. And I think she had a company that I was I was doing a little write up about. Um, but I don't know much about the rest of your family. So I'd love to know about you and them. Yeah. Um, OK, well, um, I had a great childhood. Um, I when I think about my childhood and thinking about where I came from, uh, I was raised by two incredibly loving parents, uh, my mother, social worker, Uh, worked really hard. My father was a lawyer, worked very hard. Uh, My dad, um, he's passed away. He died uh, seven or so years ago. Uh, But he was a Romanian immigrant, uh, basically had nothing and built his way up to being a successful lawyer, went from Romania to Israel, from Israel to Calgary, Calgary to Vancouver. And uh, that's where he met my mom in Calgary. So my dad has like the real deal rags to riches story. And I'm not saying rich like money wise, just, you know, he was able to uh, achieve like a beautiful, wonderful life. And he lived a beautiful, wonderful life. Uh, My mom um, also was from uh, an immigrant family in Calgary. And um, that's where she met my dad and uh, was a social worker, moved to Vancouver and they started a life together. There's a picture... uh, Somewhere, my mom probably has it, of my mom and dad sitting in their, like, tiny one-bedroom or studio apartment. I think it was in maybe Vancouver or maybe Calgary. I think Calgary. And Mm -hmm. it was probably from, like, the 70s, I would say. 
and because uh, I was born in '80, and they're holding hands like across the table, looking up at the picture, and it it's just like, you know, they had nothing, uh, mm-hmm. but they had each other and had each other. And yeah, and my dad like furiously loved my mother, and um, it was evident. And I grew up with a lot of love, and um, I was um, fortunate, you know. Um, I needed a, a pair of soccer shoes. I got a pair of soccer shoes. I needed a pair of basketball shoes. I got a pair of basketball shoes. And uh, I feel very, very lucky. Um, and, and I had a wonderful childhood. Mm-hmm. Um, my sister and me, uh, older sister, she's doing great. She lives in Victoria. Um, she's got a son who's, I think, about two. Um, I'm really bad with birthdays, sorry. Um, and... Um, she owns a hair salon with her partner. Uh, it's called The Natural. Uh, she's doing really well. Uh, you know, she's a serial entrepreneur, and she's definitely found her feet uh, with her partner and in her new business. Mm-hmm. And um, that's it. There was the four of us. And, um, of course, I have my loving wife, Emily, uh, who works in Latana as well. Uh, she is, like, runs runs that place she's incredible and she came on board in march um or april rather and she's just a force to reckon with totally shaped that place up and uh, just driving that online business and as things constantly are changing you know she's just ahead of the curve and it's really inspiring Mm -hmm. and of course my two beautiful children adrian and gus gustav uh, named after my father and um they keep me busy um yeah, a full life. Yeah, you know, I'm. I was listening to you talk about your your dad. Yeah. And him being an immigrant and hustling, and you know, when I what I know of you and what I observe of you, you sound a lot like that. Uh, yeah, I mean, my dad uh, was an amazing human. Um, his spirit was just, you know, ferocious. He was a uh, a a, a large like a big guy like broad shoulders had an accent um really loving and kind but also he was extremely communicative and assertive and um you know being a lawyer and especially in he was a he was a litigator so he was a fighter so he would go into the courtroom and he would fight for his client and um it was amazing uh and yeah you know i'm i'm a good mix of my mom and dad i would say um but the life, the lessons I learned from my dad over the years are I'll never forget. And when my dad passed away, you know, I, not a day goes by that I don't feel that I feel like things were left unsaid. You know, he knew how much I loved him and I knew how much he loved me. Mm. And I would call my dad all the time, talk to him. And, you know, he battled cancer for uh, 10 years or so. So, you know, it was a highs and lows in that scenario um mm-hmm. i'm not sure if you've if you had to deal with that in your life but i have actually yeah. yes yeah my grandmother two years ago and then actually my sister um oh, last year but she's she's recovering so good good i'm i'm happy grateful for y- that yeah, yeah that's great mm-hmm, mm-hmm. so nothing was left unsaid between you and your dad no there were no regrets in that never and that's mm-hmm. actually something that my dad always told me is never have regrets ever and um, that stuck with me. And mm. I, I, I agree with it. It's like, you know, never regret and uh, always look to the future. And I'm a really optimistic guy. 
and I'm a really positive person and I'm a happy person. Mm-hmm. And despite the the kicks to my shins, um, you know, I'm, I'm pretty good at shaking it off and compartmentalizing and, um, and being resilient. And I owe a lot of that to my father for sure. Mm, that's really beautiful. And you as a kid, what were you like? Oh, pretty man. much the same way. Yeah. I, like <laughs> easy going. Um, yeah. I, you know, like I always say, like, I think I've said over the years, like I never had a curfew because my parents, they trusted me and they, they knew that I would just like come home. Like, what else am I going to do? Like, go get in trouble? Sure. You know, I smoked cigarettes at the park and I stole Playboy magazines from London <laughs> Drugs with my buddy Aiden in grade six. And uh, we stole my friend's um, dad's cigarettes and smoked them with, you know, in grade seven. And we walked the train track smoking cigars. And, uh, you know, like I got caught stealing cigars in grade six. And there's a story to that, too. Um, but, um, as a kid, I, I, I loved sports. I loved my friends. Um, I was a good kid, had a great, um, yeah, like nothing, nothing weird. Yeah. Nothing you were, weird. you were just a normal, you're a normal kid, normal, normal kid, normal teenager at the park playing baseball yeah. with my buddy Clifton after yeah. school. Uh, and you had a part-time job. You 16, you were a dishwasher, uh, right? Is oh that when man. you got onto the industry, restaurant industry at 16? Uh, I started what? before. Mm. I got a job working at uh, the Metro Center Hotel in Kingsway and Burnaby. Okay. Uh, sorry, on in Kingsway and Middleton out in Burnaby. It doesn't exist anymore, but I would take the bus. It was a summer gig. My old man uh, knew the owner of the hotel who coincidentally was my, like, somehow cousin or something like that. But I, I, he, was, he was like, boy, it's time for time to get a job. <laughs> and I had, like, done jobs before. I, like, did um, some clerical work for my uncle at his eye clinic, and I'm super dyslexic. So I was really young, and I had to, my job was to file um, people's files. And I didn't, I couldn't, I was getting confused by the alphabet, like your name, like G, and I just wouldn't know where to put them. Mm. So it was kind of a joke, not joke, but I would screw them all up. And then my uncle's assistant would then have to come and redo them all. (laughs) So that, that was one summer job. But no, this summer job at the Metro Center Hotel, I was, it was awesome. It's like kind of where I learned the value of a dollar. And I was probably, you know, 13 13 years old, 14 years old, while all my friends were having a, you know, a gay old time in their backyards, jumping on trampolines. I was on the bus going out to Burnaby every day. And um, I think I I made a little bit of cash. But um, I worked with alongside this maintenance, the head of maintenance at this hotel. And this hotel wasn't exactly, you know, the Westin and Whistler. It was uh, the Metro Center Hotel in Burnaby. It was very transient, a lot of truckers, uh, would would hitch their post there, and there was a strip club and a poker room, which I wasn't allowed to go into. Um, and I, I I went in once, but I didn't see anything. It was like I was very much understood that I could not go in the strip club or the poker room. My dad like specifically was like he can't go in there. I was too young. So I worked alongside Mario, um, this Polish immigrant head of maintenance, and um, I would check in with him throughout the day on my tasks and they always started with sweeping the parking lot. So I start with sweeping the parking lot and it was a huge parking lot, like massive. But I had to like, there was only so many hours in the day and I was stuck out there for like eight hours because my uncle or my cousin would drive me home Mm -hmm. at the end of the day and his day ended at five, my day started at nine. So I had a lot of stuff to do 
or pretend that I was doing. And I would sweep the parking lot and occasionally I would, you know, sneak away to the side of the building and like smoke a cigarette. I think I was smoking cigarettes back then. And after the parking lot was done, I'd have to check back in with Mario and then Mario would say, okay, on to the next. And he, he was like, if I remember, you know, he had like longer hair, wore like a kind of navy blue jumpsuit and I'd follow him around like a puppy dog and he'd be like, okay, we're going to go change the locks on this room. And I was like, okay. So I would learn how to change locks, cut keys. I'd do a lot of sweeping up. I'd clean brass in the kitchen. All the employees, they loved me because I was this like young kid, just really nice and helpful. I would vacuum. I would clean up floods in the basement. Mm, uh, you're doing a lot of dirty work. All the dirty work. <laughs> but here's the kicker. Here's, here's, here's where I feel like I really learned something. I would sit in the staff room and um, Mario would kick back and he was a chain smoker. And I said, um, you know, what are you doing this weekend? Like what? I, I don't know exactly what I asked him, but it stands out to me. And basically he, he said, or I said, what makes, I didn't, I wouldn't have said what makes you happy, but in essence, he said, you know, Paul, all I'm going to do in, in this thick Polish accent, he said, all I'm going to do is I'm going to go and I'm going to get a six pack of beer. I'm going to turn my air conditioning on and I'm going to sit and watch TV for the weekend. And I'm like, oh, okay, you know, sounds good. So I would go, I went home and I think I, I detailed the story to my father who also you know, was an immigrant and, you know, understood the value of a dollar. And uh, I said, you know, it's funny, Mario, he just wants to go and drink a beer and smoke cigarettes and watch TV. And my dad really explained it. And he's just like, you know, everyone's got their own idea of comfort and what they want to do for the weekend. He's like, you might want to go watch the Vancouver 86ers, or you might want to go to the park, but he just wants to do that. And it started to click in that everyone has their own story. And I feel like I learned that at a younger, um, I was quite young um, to be in that environment. And it was really, it was great. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, I think that's a really good lesson to learn at a young age and, and to realize too that everyone's definition of joy and happiness is That's all is he different. wanted. He was a simple guy. Mm -hmm. And there's nothing wrong with that. No, you know? absolutely so. not. And then um, sort of fast forwarding through your career, um, you became a consultant for Bao Bay, and you can you can correct me if I'm sure. I'm wrong in any yeah, of this. Yeah, no problem. Uh, and then general manager at Market by Jean Georges yep. at Shangri La. Yep. And then you eventually got into restaurant ownership with Laboratoire. Uh huh. And now you've got award-winning Savio Volpe with Craig Stangetta, yep. Chef Mark Perrier, Pepino's, and Cafe Latana. What a journey. Uh yeah, and um, Mark actually. Um, we dis um, we disengaged with Mark uh, last mm. year just oh, before just before COVID, mm -hmm. uh, but we wish him well. Um, it's been a journey um, to say the least. I mean, I went from you know sweeping up parking lots at the Metro Center Hotel to washing dishes at Earls on Fur, you know, to uh, making pizzas, to you know doing whatever I had to do, and kind of slowly but surely working my way um, to where I wanted to be, and that was. I always wanted to be, you know, a restaurant man, so to speak. And uh, it's been a really positive journey. There's mm -hmm. been some, there's been some knockdowns, but I've always managed to get back up and it's going pretty well. Mm -hmm. I'm curious about uh, what you just said. You, you said you 
always wanted to be a restaurant man. What do you, what do you yeah. mean by that? Well, again, it kind of comes back to my, my father where my dad was the man in the suit. My dad always wore beautiful suits. Um, you know, he shaved every day, combed his hair. Um, he would walk out the door looking like a million bucks. Uh, he loved, you know, um, hand lotion and cologne. And, you know, he, he was a manly man, but he also was, you know, he liked the finer things in life and because mm-hmm. he never had them, um, never had anything. Um, so I wanted to be the man in the suit as well. And I... Uh, always said that. I was like, I want to be the man in the suit too. So I kind of, I worked in the kitchens for a while and um, kind of paid my dues, not not like long term because it was just the environment wasn't suited for me so much as the environment dealing with the customers and communicating. That was where my, my passion was. I really liked it. I really enjoyed it. So that brought me into being the man in the suit, so to speak. Mm. And then once I got tired of wearing the suit, I was like, I'm never putting on a suit ever again. (laughs) And I don't actually wear one. So yes. Oh, okay. Yeah. Okay. So tell me about your last 10, 11 months. It's been a very uh, trying time for so many people. And I imagine for you, it was really hard. Yeah. I mean, I go rewind to March 17th or 15th or whenever um, you know, and you're basically, you, you, you have, I think, Caitlin, who is my operations uh, manager, and Phil Scarfone, who's our culinary director, who had just started with us in like January or February. And um, we were in the office and basically kind of standing over with a red button. And it was like, I had to make the decision to like push that red button. And that red button had consequences that I've never had to, um, to comprehend. You know, the consequences were laying off um, 125 associates at that push of the button. Uh, It was closing my restaurants with the push of the button. And it was coming up with, you know, um, um, uh, email blast to the entire, all the associates, um, advising them, you know, what was going on, um, giving them uh, resources or whatever we knew and being communicative. Uh, I traveled from restaurant to restaurant and I met with all the associates that were on site that day um, and I was face to face with them. So I was able to connect with, you know, 30 or 40 associates face to face and let them know what I knew, which was not a lot. It was we made a preemptive, proactive decision to close the restaurants a couple days before the order came in because we were looking out for, you know, the safety of our associates first and foremost. And once I think we pushed that red button, um, more restaurants followed suit because it's a really tough decision to make and I've never had to make that and I hope I never have to again Uh, because you are fucking with people's lives and that's like anyone that you talk to and you ask them, you know, are you okay to fire someone? Like is terminating someone okay with you? And if they reply back to be like, yeah, like I live for it, I love it. And I'd be like, you're a sick fuck. I don't want you anywhere near me or my my family or my my, my people because it's not cool to mess with people. Um, just like it's not cool to steal someone's car stereo. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like that's their, that's their stuff. Don't mess with them. So, you know, it was really tough. Um, but, you know, slowly but surely, fast forwarding as the months go by, you know, takeout ramps up and we're able to hire back, you know, a smaller percentage of associates. Um, and then, you know, present day, we're pretty much back to where we were. Uh, not capacity or revenue, but 
in terms of our associates, I think um, we are, we've hired back successfully everyone that's wanted to come back. Um, that's incredible. Obviously over the past year, we've, there's been turnover, you know, some forced and some not forced, but um, that's, that's business. But you yeah, know, we're, yeah, we're fully employing, I think pretty much everyone. And of course, the the feds have issued the subsidies, the wage subsidy and the rent subsidies, which are great. And that's exactly what they're for, is to make sure that I can hire you back and give you a job and pay you what you were making. And, you know, so we're very fortunate to be in Canada and extra fortunate to be in British Columbia. Yeah, no, I, I agree. Very fortunate to be on the West Coast. Yeah. And I feel like you were also one of the... Um, you know, restaurant groups to, to quickly pivot into a marketplace as well. Yeah. Which I remember was one of the, you know, first messages I got from, from you guys with your newsletter was, you know, Cafe Latana, you can yeah. order, pick up, order, deliver. Pick up. We look Cafe Latana the first couple years, um, it, it ran, um, it, it was doing fine, but it, it, it wasn't what we wanted it to be. And uh, Emily, my partner, she is the one who stripped it down and built it back up. So we are now cooking with gas. We are doing very well, you know, scale speaking. I'm not saying like we're like, you know, you get it. It's, the, uh, it's a cafe or a grocer. Um, but it's great because it, it gives us an opportunity to showcase all the beautiful ingredients that we use in the restaurants and it also, you know, we forged a lot of new relationships with vendors on the East Coast and London, Italy, Spain, and it's really unique products that no one can find or get. So we're definitely putting our, our stamp on who we are and we're putting our, our flag in the sand. So um, Latana is, is kind of, it's a, it's a runaway, it's a runaway success uh, as far as I'm concerned. And the overnight pivot is basically we stripped the coolers at Savio and pepinos and we broke them down and we transformed whatever we had um you know raw ingredients and pantry ingredients and we brought them down to latana and we were just if it wasn't nailed down we were selling it so mm. um or giving it away or giving it to our staff but that's how it all started and it, it, it was fun mm -hmm. I, I worked like six seven weeks straight um and it was fun um making it happen i was making marinara sauce i was making pizza dough, rolling pizza dough. It was like, I loved it. Yeah. It sounds and like a happy place yeah, for you. It was, it was great. <laughs> and it, what we weren't, we weren't like making heaps of cash. I mean, I don't want anyone to think that that's what this business is about. It was like, we were paying the bills and, uh, which was important because, you know, when we push that red button, I still have vendors to pay. I still have taxes to pay and rent to pay. And, um, if, yeah, a lot of people just got crushed like mm -hmm. right out the gate and mm -hmm. they're still probably trying to recoup because um, the restaurant business is tough. It's, yeah. it's like relentless. Yeah. It's, it's one of those things where, um, you know, you go to a restaurant, but you don't think of all the orchestration that goes behind it when you're, you're the guest, you're, you're just there experiencing it. Yeah. Um, and I feel like it's like that with a lot of, you know, different jobs. I remember when um, I did a small little stint, uh, when I was younger in PR and I thought, you know, it was a really glamorous industry. But then once I was working and I'm like, wow, people don't know how much work this is. Yeah. Yeah. But anyways, to pivot back to, to you, um, you know, I had said in the beginning, I, th I think you're such a gracious host. And that's one of the first things that I, I thought when, when I met you, 
Um, and I can tell that the guest experience at your restaurants, I mean, it's exceptional. And for me, I'm like, I, I think to myself, oh, Paul puts a lot of thought, careful thought in into this. And I know you referred to uh, in the past that running a great restaurant is an art form. So when you come up for a, with a concept for your restaurant, uh, take me through your thought process. Um, well, it's it, to me, hospitality is like it's something that lives inside of you. And it's not something that just anyone can be good at. And there are certain skills you can teach, you know, like how to clear a table, how to pour soup so you don't spill, how to open a bottle of wine. You know, those are skills you can teach. But you can't teach character, you can't teach personality, you can't teach passion or instinct. And uh, those are things, fortunately and unfortunately, that I feel like I have with this business. And I'm very good at it. And I'm proud to say that. And I'm not saying that, uh, you know, being an asshole or being arrogant. It's like, no, you know what? I'm good at what I do. And I'm proud of what I do. And my product is superior, whether it's the culinary aspect or whether it's the hospitality aspect because I work my ass off. I work seven days a week, 16 hours a day, and I sleep, but I wake up and I think about work and that's all I do. It's an obsession. And to be successful in this business, I think if you were to talk to anyone that is successful in this business or in any business that requires you to be an entrepreneur um, and, and have that instinct, it's a 24-7 game. And I think over the years, and now, you know, with a family, you have to come up with tips and tricks on how to, you know, take time for your family. Mm -hmm. And most of all, the thing that I struggle with is, you know, being present when I'm with my kids or my wife and on a Sunday afternoon. And I'm doing my best and I'm working on that. And that's very real because I feel like the hospitality industry, there's a lot of casualties with respect to relationships mm -hmm. and you know when you find a relationship that you you want to stick with you got to work at it you know right um because of the long hours and it's not it's just like it's so everything's so fucking random it's like texts emails nobody really it's it's not like you're a banker and it's like nine to five and mm. your phone doesn't ring on the weekends there's like stuff that always comes up so you have to really manage that you know expectation and that stress level but anyways, I think to your question, um, I, I, I just do, I try my best to inspire my associates and I try my best to be present with them and, and be a leader and, um, you know, uh, to be credible and mm -hmm. to earn their respect and to, to drive them and mm -hmm. to make sure that they want to wake up every day and come to work with me on whatever we're working on. Mm -hmm. uh, like we do Friday operations meetings. And this past Friday, um, I did a short, pulled one quickly out of the hat, but I did a presentation to the management about, uh, I drew a, a castle and then I drew a, a circle around it. And then I, I, I basically was like, you know, this castle is protected by this moat. I don't know if you've heard that term. Yes. Yeah. Okay. The water around the castle. Yeah. 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 Or you could say you could, it could be a fence. It could be whatever. Yeah. So I was like, okay, I did the moat thing. Cause I Googled it because <laughs> Craig and I were talking and he's just like, yeah. And we talked for a minute. I grabbed an idea and I did this little presentation for my staff. And I was kind of like, 
unsure if my messaging became clear to them, but they all seemed to really latch onto it. And all of a sudden their productivity spiked and they were more engaged and they looked more awake and the light bulbs went off and I'm like, okay, good. And so now I'm going to roll with it. And that's what inspires me is to be able to come back to them again on Friday and create a new challenge or a new inspiration. Mm. And my hope is that they equally inspire their associates and then their associates equally inspire their clients and provide that level of hospitality that people want, people need, because the competition, there's restaurants everywhere. And, you know, you can go get similar product down the street, but why do you come back? You know, what is it? Is it mm-hmm. the it's the experience? The experience. Is it the fresh bread? Yeah, you know that that's great. Is it the the beautiful wine? Yeah. Is it the lighting? Yeah. But is it the people and the food? You know, it all clicks. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I agree. It's like it's the entire holistic experience. Yeah, is why I always come back. Yeah, to your restaurants. Good. Yeah, and, and obviously to see you if well, you're there. Of course. <laughs> yeah, and not for nothing. I'll go back to my dad again. So. When I was a partner at Laboratoire, and that restaurant was very chef-driven, and Lee is a, like one of the most talented chefs in the country. He's a phenomenal cook. Like just some of the stuff the guy comes up with is insane. Um, so hats off to him. My father said to me, he said, you know, Laboratoire isn't just successful because of Lee. Because I'm a humble guy. I, I didn't take, there was no spotlight grabbing. It was like, no, I was there. I worked my ass off. And we were successful. But the food, more often than not, was getting the, um, the, the, the credit, where I was more of the linebacker. And I was fine with that. But my dad said, you know, Paul, the food isn't what makes Laboratoire successful necessarily. It's you. And he bought me this book called The Art of the Restaurateur. Mm. And uh, I still have it. And it's a big, thick book. And basically, it talks about, you know, our jobs as front men, as restaurateurs, as hosts, as maitre d's, and how we are able to um, support the culinary. So it is a real yin and yang, the culinary in the front of house. So when you have that magic and you have that atmosphere and everything clicks, you know, that's like the shiver effect. That's when you get those shivers and the experience is just, it's fireworks. Mm. And when you're looking to hire an associate, Mm -hmm. What is it that you look for? What are those innate qualities that I, you're scanning for? Yeah, I, um, I haven't done traditional interviews in a really long time. I try to, um, you know, I empower my my management to make those decisions often, and they make the right decisions because they know the culture that we're looking for, the positive, wonderful, supportive culture. Um, but personally, you know, I sat in on an interview uh, there was a young woman interviewing in the cafe for a position and I, I was in the cafe and I just kind of popped in, popped down and was like, hey, how are you doing? My name's Paul. And the thing is, May, you know right away. You know right away if, if that associate, a potential associate is awake. You can see inherently in them, you know, what makes you tick? Like, are you an honest person? Are you, you know, you look at the, you can look at their fingernails, you can ask them, you know, there's like asshole things like, oh, if they don't put away their water glass after the interview, that's a bad sign. It's like, is that really like they're probably just nervous and they don't want to they don't know where it goes, but they could be a very sweet person that you need to give them a chance. So I think you need to look past the conventional bullshit you might read in a book or you might have an instructor tell you you need to get out there and you need to experience and you need to communicate and you need to open yourself up and understand what makes people tick. 
And just because they don't have experience in hospitality doesn't mean they can't be a star. Mm. And, you know, you have to give people an opportunity. And oftentimes what I like is people will be let go of another job. And maybe someone in the industry calls me and they'll say, oh, I wouldn't go near May. I had a problem with her. You know, she was real bad apple. And I'm like, really? Because I think May's really sweet. And I think May has a tremendous amount of opportunity within her. So I think that I've done a great job at looking at everyone as an individual and sort of peeling back the onion, so to speak, mm-hmm. and finding people's strengths and then utilizing them. And hence making my companies and my restaurants more successful. Mm. Uh, so utilizing people's strengths and looking within. And you can ask all sorts of trick questions. You know, you can be like, you know, Elon Musk asking, you know, what problems have you solved recently? And tell me the step by step. And I'm going to find out if you're lying. Mm. I read that guy. He, that's what he does in interviews. That's what Elon Musk says. He says, describe to me the um, a problem that you recently resolved and the steps how you resolved it. And he said that he can tell if that person is lying or not. Mm. I'm like, okay, that works for you. I was going to try that with someone. And then I'm like, no, that's not me. Right. I'm going to get confused and fumble it like I just did. And then the person's going to be like, are you okay? I'm not sure I want to be here. Yeah, you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. So, mm. sorry, I think I rambled on. No, no, I'm not getting at all, all. I'm getting all fired up here. <laughs> I love it. I like it. It's good. Uh, I was I was going to say, um, you had, uh, oh my gosh, I'm losing my train of thought here. I'm, I'm sure it'll come come back to me. Um, I wanted to ask, is, is loyalty a big value in restaurants? Because I often see familiar faces like working together or following each other to different restaurants and, you know, I read Kitchen Confidential, at, ah, you know, Anthony beautiful. Bourdain. And, you know, it, and I got the sense that there is kind of like this loyalty and camaraderie that yeah. happens in this industry. Yeah. Uh, did I read that wrong? Or? No. Uh, well, you know, Anthony Bourdain, uh, you know, I, I, don't, I don't, wouldn't say he's like a mentor of mine, but, you know, I read his books. I've been, I followed him for the last forever, um, ever since I started the industry. So that's a good benchmark of people. He's just a, like... I don't know. That's a whole separate discussion. But loyalty, um, definitely. Uh, I'm like loyal to a fault. Um, and um, I've had people with me for a long, long time. And I still have relationships with people that I'm are no longer with me. You know, Romano, Romano mm, yes. Castillo. So he worked with me for like 10 or 15 years. And he's moved on. Uh, a few months ago, he's working with his family on their, his, uh, I think his, um, that's like a hair salon thing. Anyways, he's doing great, but, uh, no loyalty is huge. And I think like, that's what people want in life. They want to be surrounded with people like-minded and are yeah. caring and providing opportunity and growth. Um, that's how you gain loyalty mm-hmm. uh, with your associates. Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Loyalty is, is, is a great virtue to have. I remember my train of thought. Okay. I had so many questions for you. Yeah, I cool. lost my train of thought, no but yeah, no, I just wanted to comment on what you said about, um, giving people a chance. And that is a lesson I actually learned from the founder of the company I used to, to be with, um, Bob Rennie. And he had talked about the people in his life that, um, gave him another hoop to jump through is what he, he called it. And, I, you know, I, I think of the times in my life where people just took a chance on me too, and that chance led me to a better place. And I do think that um, being someone who does that, um, I think, is just really good for the world. Yeah, uh, it lets people see their move toward their potential. 
rather than an obstacle I, or barrier. I agree. I think that a really wonderful quality trait, quality trait, is that a word? A really <laughs> wonderful quality trait <laughs> in people is empathy. And I think that to be successful, whether it's monetarily or, you know, whatever success means to you, empathy while working with others is probably the number one. Um, and, you know, Bob, uh, Rennie, he's a friend of mine and he's a wonderful person. And that is someone with a lot of love and empathy. And it's no secret that you have very fond things to say about Bob and his team and working with them and I've worked with them too for, for years and Carrie and, um, you know, their office was close by. And, um, I think it's, that's what it's all about. It's creating opportunity and creating hoops for people to jump through. And, um, it's great. Yeah. And I think that's great that, that you do that. Um, I wanted to ask, so you work closely with your, your wife. Uh, -huh. uh what has that, that been like? And, um, what makes your synergy so strong? Well, we didn't always work together. Um, Emily joined the team in, um, I guess, March. I'd say April, and she's kind of gone full on and working her tail off and uh, just like me. And it works really well with her and I because we're both similar in that we're incredibly driven and our skills are very complementary. So... Uh, she's like, I said this last night, I don't know what I was asking her. She's like the best conciliary you could ever have. Mm. And you know, like Tony Soprano and Syl, yes. like that was his conciliary. Yeah, and the advisor. Yeah, like she's just like, the way my brain works and her brain, they're very different. And uh, she's incredible with making my thoughts become clearer. And that's my, I wouldn't say problem or negative necessarily, but my thoughts go like bang, 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 bang. And I have a really hard time honing them in and clearly communicating them. So oftentimes I'll, I'll lean on her and I'll say, hey, like, does this sound all right? Or am I coming on the right track? And she's very good at being black and white, but also having that sense of compassion that I often have too much of. Mm. Um, in running my my day to day, and that can kind of get you jammed up sometimes. So when you lead with your heart in business all the time, it's difficult. So you have to find that balance, and I think that her and I balance each other very mm. well professionally. Mm -hmm. That's your yin and yang. There. Definitely, definitely, <laughs> yeah, yeah. How can the community support um, the restaurant industry in their cities right now? Other than dining in safely or ordering takeout, are there any initiatives that? people can contribute to that they may not be aware of? Like, what can people do? Um, you know, I think it's, I think the community itself has done a really, really great job at their, at support. Um, whether it, like you said, dining out or buying a gift card or doing takeout or dining in, whatever people's comfort zones are. Um, I think the industry needs a lot of support when it comes to, um, I guess it would be like the entry level associates and there are more people at risk than you think in this industry and you know I've had associates on my team that have I had never met before and they're, they're younger and um, it word got to me that this person potentially is vulnerable and perhaps has like food security issues um, and I've kind of tried my best to either give that person more food or say hey you know what like you can go shopping tonight and buy whatever you want or take some takeout or here's a hundred bucks or here's 20 bucks. And I think that it, 
the the support needs to start from the, the people who are running the businesses for their own associates and ensuring that they are whole and there are no food security issues while they're employed with you and whether that's paying them a reasonable wage because there is the wage subsidy. So, mm-hmm. um, you know, I, I get it. Like everyone's business is different and you can run your business however you see fit. But in terms of the community support, I don't know. It's hard to ask people for more because I feel like people are already giving so much. And I feel like there's a lot of um, challenges right now in, in the atmosphere. And there's so much walking anxiety and depression. Mm-hmm. And um, I think the community has done a really great job at providing support where they can. Um, it's hard for me to say, oh, you know what? Buy some gift cards because that's not going to do anything. It's yeah. great. Thank you but it's not really going to help the ones who are vulnerable with those food security issues or problems paying their rent. And I think the feds and the government have done a great job at providing, you know, CERB and, um, I don't know. I mean, I don't know. I think people are doing the best they can right? in a really, really tough time. Mm-hmm. It's not, this isn't over, No. you know, and that's the thing. It's like, if we're lucky, 2021 will mirror 2020. Mm. That's what I'm hoping for from, mm-hmm. you know, running a business. Yeah. Um, but, you know, the community, I think, has done a great job. Yeah. Yeah. It sounds like there has been a lot of support and as much as people could do. Yeah. I mean, look, I don't know these guys, but they're the guys that own the McKenzie Room um, mm-hmm. and they have another place up on Fraser. They have, I think they've done a, it stands out to me because I must have seen it. And they, they've done a great job at, um, like st- it's called staff meal, I think. And, and mm. they basically took in money. They got donations and that donations translated to staff meal, uh, for anyone in the industry could come and get food or they pay like a really nominal amount for like a spaghetti bolognese or, you know, like cheaper food mm-hmm. that's cooked properly. And they're able to get access to that. They're still at a price because they have to pay for the cost, but it would be like five bucks for a, a sandwich or I'm not sure if that's what they're doing, but mm-hmm. their name comes out. Um, yeah. We did for a long time this program called Healthcare Heroes, and I was delivering them to the hospitals and to the nurses and frontline workers, and that was successful. And that's the community was supportive of that too. I matched every dollar, and um, that was great. And I, I think it's it's about if you're able to help, help. Mm-hmm. And if you're not able to help, that's okay. Right. And um, I think there, there's no pressure. Yeah, you know? and I think that can be a general statement too. Like wherever right. you can help someone, somewhere. Yeah, like it's quite cold outside. Yeah. You know, if you see someone who's vulnerable and, you know, you've got an extra five bucks in your pocket, give them the five bucks. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. so what? They want to go buy a sandwich, buy a sandwich. They want to go buy a six pack, buy a six pack. Mm-hmm. It takes me back to what my father said about, you know, Mario likes a six pack and a beer. Where I was thinking to myself, well, why wouldn't you want to do this? And you know what? Some people just want to drink a beer. Mm-hmm. Another example is I was walking with my dad once upon a time, and we were holding hands, and I was quite young, and there was this man in a wheelchair, and the man in the wheelchair was smoking a cigarette. And I said to my dad, I said, Dad, that doesn't make sense. Like, he's already, like, in a wheelchair. Why is he smoking a cigarette? And my dad said, hey, look, that cigarette could be the last pleasurable thing that that guy gets to do Mm -hmm. and it just stuck out in my mind it's like you can't you can't be quick to judge people and you have to sort of have that empathy and try to help people where you can and I don't know 
I'm yeah. rambling on, but no, I, I know what you mean. You just need to allow people space to be. Yeah. Especially yeah. now, just mm-hmm. like, you know, step back, take a breath yeah, and do your best to be present. Right. And is that what you've been doing over the last, you know, 10, 11 months for your own mental health? It's uh, yeah. yeah. How have you managed um, it's with been, the ups and downs? Um, I live in North Vancouver um, where there's, it's quiet and um, I go for a walks, try to go every day in the forest with my dog walking buddies. And um, one guy in particular, he's a character, John, if you're listening. <laughs> uh, so um, I try to get out in the woods, hug a tree, so to speak. Yes. Um, I spend a lot of time with my, my youngest son. Um, and uh, I do a lot of cooking. Like I'm cooking six, seven nights a week. Um, and that that is really relaxing for me. Mm-hmm. And I actually, I drink a lot of wine. <laughs> uh, I drink uh, heavily, yeah. <laughs> not heavily, but uh, yeah, and I don't really care. I like it. Yeah. Th- it's not like a problem. You yeah. know? It's just, I'm doing it. I'm right. doing me. You're doing you. Yeah. Um, I wanted to ask a question, you know, throughout this interview, I can, I can tell how close you were to your, your father. Yeah. What was the hardest thing about losing him? Uh, I think it, it was... It's actually, it's interesting because oftentimes when I think about my dad or when I get questioned about my dad, I get kind of choked up and I'm feeling like I'm not getting choked up, which maybe is an interesting, um, it's, you know, my healing or process is clicking along. Um, anyways, the most, the thing that I most, most, that I miss most about my dad, you know, I don't want to say like everything because that's obvious, you know, talking to him, calling him, you know, seeking his counsel, so to speak. And, you know, he's a very smart guy and he always taught me to save my words and not over communicate. And, um, you know, I just miss barbecuing a steak with him. Uh, I'd love to be able to sit with him and have a steak and a bottle of wine. And, and we, we didn't even like talk that much because he, he was a man of few words sort of. And, just sitting there with him would be cool. Uh, watching a movie. Uh, we watched a lot of movies together. I used to like lie on his, like his stomach and we'd, we'd call them bad movies. <laughs> and they'd be like Jean-Claude Van Damme, Bloodsport. And, <laughs> Love that movie. <laughs> you know? So, yeah. uh, you know, as my kids are getting older and, you know, my wife will be up in the kitchen and she'll be like, what are you doing down there? I'll be like, oh, we're watching a bad movie. And uh, I feel like you are your parents in so many ways. Mm. And I feel like I'm emulating my father in a lot of ways. And that's one thing for sure. You know, he was a great father and he always, there was no, like, it was always like, I love you. I love you. I love you. And kisses and like hugs. And, mm-hmm. um, that's the way I am with my kids too. So, mm. which, yeah, it actually takes me to, to the next question. I remember, I actually remember the day that you told me that you were a new father. Okay. I think we'd run in, in, into each other on the street. Yeah. And I remember how much your eyes had, um, lit up when you told me about, uh, Adrian, yeah. what's been your greatest joy in your boys? Um, I think it's just really cool when, when I have them. Well, Adrian lives on the East Coast in Montreal, but, you know, we've been thick as thieves since he's been born and since he moved there. And um, I think it's amazing to watch my two sons um, have the relationship that they have when they just kind of fit together every time they see each other and it's just like normal. And that is 
probably my greatest joy is just seeing their relationship flourish and know that they're brothers and they'll be brothers forever, no matter what. And even though Adrian lives in Montreal and Gus is with us in Vancouver and Adrian comes out here, we go out there and it's just their normal. And it, it makes, it gives me like, it makes me warm inside knowing that they're going to have each other forever. Mm. And it's not like, you know, a girlfriend or a boyfriend where, you know, things are, can move on. It's like, nope, you're brothers and you'll have each other forever. And they're going to grow up supporting each other and uh, loving each other. And that is joyful to me mm. for sure. Mm -hmm. Well, I've really loved this conversation and I am conscious that you're a busy man. Uh, I have one more question for Shoot. you. Um, with the work that you do, uh, what is it that you want to leave behind in the world? Um, it's a good question. I hope that I hope that one day through all this hard work and sacrifice that I've made this past 20 years in my career, I hope that one day I recognize what I've done. Um, I hope that I've able to stop and smell the roses and enjoy the successes and the, and the failures. And I hope that when I've left either this planet or left this industry because uh, there is a there is an end game um, I hope that when my name comes up it's in a positive notion it's you know oh Grunberg I work for Grunberg what an amazing leader or mm. what you know he taught me the that empathy to lead with empathy and to you know he taught me the value of the guest experience and um, the art of hospitality and you know there's all that stuff but I don't know um, it's a good question. I think primarily what I need to work on is being able to be good with that question. Mm. I think I need to be good with myself in that recognizing how my work translates onto my associates mm -hmm. and the people that I work with. And I think that I do have a lot of impact and I hope that it continues to stay positive and I'm able to continue to foster all of these amazing relationships that I have. And I hope that when people talk about me in the past tense, so to speak, that it's in a positive light and it's conversation around positive impact and empathy and leadership. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that working with you was a good experience, which is... Yeah, yeah, I'm not, I'm not, I, I, I've not had too many negative experiences. I mean, there yeah. have been some ups and downs, but nothing mm -hmm. all positive. Well, I know you'll leave an impact for sure, if Thank not you. already. Thank you. Thank you so much for your time. Thanks and for having me. Yes, I look for, forward to another conversation sometime soon. And congratulations to you. I mean, this this is a, an amazing platform for you to highlight, um, you know, entrepreneurs. And I think it's really incredible that, you know, you're offering this space and this time to have these intimate conversations that are uh, that are enlightening. And uh, I'm very, very proud of you. Oh, thank and you. And I think, you know, keep up the great work. Yeah. You know, I was just saying to, to end on this, this note, maybe I was just saying to a friend the other day, even if it's just to create space for someone to have an open conversation and they feel like they've gotten something off their chest or shared something that they want to, then I'm, I'm happy with that. Yeah. It's like, it's similar to like a really good conversation. Yes. With a friend and like, it's like a therapy. It's <laughs> like, it's just a release. It's yeah. a safe environment. Yeah. Having good for you. Good connections are healing.
Absolutely. Thank you so much. Thanks. Thanks, May. If you enjoyed that last conversation, be sure to check out more episodes of The Craft on Spotify and guest photo galleries on the website at wearethecraft.com. Thanks again for listening.